clue to the hard and facts that theology is super, super important and is essentially the basis of Christianity and Catholicism itself, and due to the fact that homosexuality is such a hardened based theology that everyone argues over about every 72 seconds nowadays, and also due to the primary fact that the whole Roman Vatican is in disarray currently over the recent wants and hardened wants to include homosexuality in the ranks of biblical standards so much that they've gone as far as to say the traditional values of Christianity thoroughly threaten the lives of people claiming affiliation with the community standard of homosexual practices, which is basically everyone on the left politically and secretly as a Pope Francis. And since we're basically fighting for the complete structure of conservatism, instead of being completely overrun by an essential or rather unessential formation of liberalism and politics when it comes to the Catholic Church, I thought it would be very, very, very important to approach biblical apologetics and the Bible-based apologetics question as of homosexuality and talk about it using two people's dissertations and biblical theses and biblical constructive papers, whom of which disagree with me. One being a name of Montoya and the other Krauss, who are well-known individuals when it comes to liberal biblical standards. So the normative approach, and one of the most overwhelming forms of the Christian-based argumentation to mention, when it comes to not accepting homosexuality is the Pauline letters of the Bible due to the fact that there's basically no way to state a Pauline support for homosexuality the minute you begin to investigate the cultures in which Paul positioned himself in opposition towards such as the Corinthian cultural sex cultism which unfortunately are no short of identical to OnlyFans content of today's online habituation Traditional leftism, on the other hand, or otherwise known as heavily non-traditional Christianity, states that it is far better to embrace sexual cultism for the means of engaging in anything deemed, acceptab anything deemed acceptable, and anything, unfortunately, when it comes to biblical apologetic apologetics thinkers mentioned to really mean anything, they really do mean anything. And it comes to the point of meaning literally any type of thing that we have seen in our culture and could continue to see in our culture as it becomes more and more habitual towards the degeneracy in sexuality. So I thought I'd quote a very famous past theologian, the classic man of John Calvin, as he stated in the 1500s, quote, Christ justifies no one whom he does not also sanctify, unquote. Now when I say that, people on the homosexual side could get very offended, and obviously they definitely will be, because am I clearly saying that they are not fully sanctified by practicing this practice? Well, unfortunately, I, I do technically, yes, have to say that. And deeming that this is a sexual deviant sin, it means that it will ultimately affect your sanctification, and could of course affect your Christ-centered justification. 
Now, although this is not a direct constraint towards homosexuality, it still constrains it at the same time. The question must be answered as to what truly then sanctifies us. Is it our sexual practices tied to the God we worship? Which, from a conservative standpoint, that would still be the case, considering uh, heterosexuality. Or does it mean the sexual practice that connects us to what we want? And whether, in the first place, is it Christ wholeheartedly or is it something else? If a person is saying that they're fine just the way they are in their sin, then the claim becomes that homosexuality is a sanctifier just like Christ and equal to Christ, which is openly why everyone in favor of homosexuality states that God wills it in a positive way, even though this cannot be further from the truth based on the sexual cultism. Going along with the pride problem, which to everyone is the full-on reason for the pride parade ideologies to happen around the world, as everyone knows already, Calvin also stated that, quote, where God's spirit does not reign, there is no humility and man will swell up with inward pride, unquote. Now, obviously, this is partaking of the fact that females or lesbians that engage in this type of practice are still present. When he says man, he's just referring to the fact that men are the dominant in the culture because they're meant to lead the family and they're meant to lead the whole of the culture. But it still relates to man and woman, even though man is only in the sentence when it comes to inward pride. This is what makes this ideology so dangerous theologically for the church because it not only affects men, but it also affects women. And recently for the past 10 years, and honestly more than that, has further deconstructed the whole idea of man's commitment to lead women and women's commitment to help lead with men in order to build the family and the faith for the rest of humanity into the next generation. Got to stop here for a second and talk about my favorite coffee advertisers. Black Rifle Coffee kicks all the other coffees out there to the curb. And when you purchase Black Rifle's Dark AK-47 Dark Roast, Loyalty Roast, and every other fan favorite and business bestseller, you not only kick all of those mediocre coffees that taste like hot water to the curb, but you also help support the military and the Second Amendment. Get the best coffee on the market today. Also, if you are a man or a woman of faith and value your prayer, download the number one app in the country for bringing Catholic, Christians, and Protestants alike to a healthy walk with God. Download Hallow. It's the number one prayer app, and you can pray alongside of world-famous Catholics and Protestants like Mark Wahlberg, Liam Neeson, and Tim Tebow. Download the app and get closer to Christ. Here's the opening statement from the thesis of Alex de Montoya's piece entitled Homosexuality and the Church, who stands as an associate professor of pastoral studies in California. Now, although the author is obviously anti-biblical in his understanding, or the only understanding that he wants to have in the first place of the piece, and it really tends to dictate towards that way, and and what obviously people can know about the whole subject matter. They went, as soon as it says California, you know where it's going. But, quote, Is homosexuality condemned or condoned by the Holy Scriptures? Are homosexuals guilty of practicing a sinful lifestyle 
or are they simply living out their God-ordained functions? Unquote. Now those first two questions really raise an other questions that will attempt to state quite straightforwardly what is a holy scripture that condones a lifestyle deemed sinful by the majority. Or another question can quite straightforwardly be, how can you possibly prove that such activities are God-ordained when Paul detests them, as we said before? One of the only ways that you can either approve any of these practices or approve of any type of God ordination surrounding these practices is to approve of the surrounding people groups in the area that were cast down by the God of the Bible. Or secondly, by saying that you need a new gospel wholeheartedly that is suddenly okay completely with the homosexual practice. What thoroughly cannot be done is to say that the homosexual practices can be proven acceptable without doing these two actions. It's the aspect that the United Methodists, obviously, and other more conforming denominations of leftism do not want to highlight and actually end up answering to. Now, in a second part, a number of pages down, one of the other second parts of the positions uh, comes from a quotation from, quote-unquote, the Gay Theological Journal, Deciphering the Holiness Code, which... For some reason, I could not pull up, probably because it had holiness code and gay theology together, and it broke the Google algorithm, perhaps, or something. I don't really know how you can have gay theological journal actually be approved by all churches, but... The man's name quoted within this article is John Eastburn Boswell, who was born March 20th, 1947, and died December 24th, 1994, and he was an American historian and a professor at Yale University, and Boswell's studies primarily focused on the issue of religion and homosexuality, specifically Christianity and homosexuality, which I'm not really sure how you can be that devoted to the practice that that's 100% absolutely all you talk about, but as it stands, that was basically his prime Mary discussion when he was alive and being an apologetics professor. So quite straightforwardly here, this is what he says from the analyzation that I found, even though I couldn't actually pull up that primary source. It's stated here in the article. Boswell says in this thought process that the book of Leviticus was arguing against uncleanliness primarily to sexuality and not with moral purity or immoral purity, which only means to say that as a result, homosexuality and heterosexuality are basically the same action, which is false, and it also delegates that just simultaneously the act of sexual practice itself is one form of impurity, meaning that you're impure if you simply have sex, which technically, yes, was a thing in ancient Jewish culture, Israelite culture, and in the ancient Middle East, but you are assuming then that homosexuality is the same type of impurity. So it's actually not what Boswell's meaning to argue. Because obviously, yes, if you have sex, that's technically an impurity. You're no longer a virgin. 
you've had sex with a partner, but the impurity of homosexuality is not the same as not being a virgin any longer. It's completely 100% different, and it's actually attaining to a different thought process where homosexuality is deemed as sinful, while heterosexuality is deemed as, as normal. Boswell is wanting to, of course, make both of those things the exact same thought process, which of course cannot fall into place anyway and, and essentially falls apart. Now we'll take another person by the name of Krauss's position. And Kelly Krauss did a master's thesis for her situation in theology for her primary uh, her primary status. And she looks into another interrelation uh, similar to the first view to a certain extent and degree, but of course it's not at all a correct interpretation of the past culture at all to say the least. She is essentially wanting to echo every single liberal on this topic, but this is another argument that has been stated, so we will go over it once again. She says, quote, when the Bible is referencing the homosexuality within the passage, it's not referencing the loving, committed gay and lesbian couples that exist today, but rather referencing a specific sort of sexual act found in biblical times. Unquote. So she is generally saying that homosexuality as a result is basically chopped into two parts. There's the homosexuality that is fine within couple pairing and partners, and there's the homosexuality that is fully extended in a demeaning way, an evil way, an impure way, once again. And it is then therefore not the same sexual act found in biblical times, despite the fact that in absolutely no way, shape, or form would Muslims actually approve of this interpretation. In no way, shape, and form did Paul tell the ancient Christians either to approve of this type of position. This is actually the position that Paul specifically disproves of at every given time. Paul disproves of this absolutely always. And this, yet again, says that there is quote-unquote a cultural bias. That is, the authors of the Bible wrote it in a specific way where they're basically culturally appropriating it in a negative way. Despite the fact that every part of the ancient Middle Eastern culture nowadays would say that's wrong. Given that the whole entire Middle East would completely 100% disagree with this thesis, and thus I guess if she was going to a Middle Eastern school she'd definitely fail this thesis. But a very, very, very straightforward necessity that we have to come to agreement on is why she doesn't really end up finishing the statement. Why she ends up just saying, referencing a specific sort of sexual act found in biblical times. What is she talking about? Well, just to keep it rather clean for the sake of the episode and for the sake of other people listening, not to get too long in the 
answer and just with the discretion of understanding to what the biblical sinful practices she's referring to long answer for the sake of time and for the sake of not getting too abhorrently called for it's group sex it's group sex within Corinthian cultism and Ephesus related cultism and Roman cultism this is specifically what she is talking about but still not exactly referring to straightforwardly which yes did actually occur during their time span and going as far back as the Old Testament days which technically Paul is referencing here you can still connect it say back to Egypt where a number of individuals say in the cults of Isis the cult of Osiris and other type of individual cults that weren't primarily run by the government but did in fact exist these were the same sex actions that were taking place and unfortunately for her basis of her argument she would most likely still be fine with these types of activities occurring and these types of sexual actions occurring due to the fact that if you are not open-minded if you're not open-hearted if you're not fully accepting with this love don't judge mentality then obviously you're the problem that's what they would wholeheartedly communicate and thus this might as well not even be an argument anymore it's just a statement of full acceptance she discontinues this discussion and attempts to move on to the next due to the fact that if you stop for a moment and think on the problems that continue to occur in today's sexually confused society these are the very things that people on this presumption defend they defend this position and still advocate again for the love don't judge scheme of thinking and theology which ends up thoroughly not being theology to close until tomorrow the reality is this continuous advocation for this as a biblical discerning view as a biblical discerning invoice of clarity only tends to cast believers into the abyss of cultural confusion as we have seen in the past decade as people living before this younger generation never thought imaginable surely no one that I know who's older above the age of 30 thought it imaginable people nowadays reference as dogs cats and zoo animals while also referencing as humans and illogical words that are meant to be pronouns that don't even reference sexuality to begin with and well are just as confusing as the words that the younger generation uses to mean anything else as other words by what they already mean such as you know bet and all that in short look at the past culture and continue to pray for understanding and understanding and and biblical relevance have a blessed day talk to you tomorrow on the rights perspective show also look forward to this coming thursday for the pilot episode of man-made minds take care and have a fantastic night talk to you soon